We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And I, I, I want to break down the fourth wall for a second, folks. This is the second show we've recorded this evening. You're listening to it on Monday. We recorded this on Friday. Um, everyone knows that. Okay. <laughs> You have cycled through more cocktail glasses than I believe women change pairs of shoes. This is my blouses on the average day. This is my second glass for the night. Second glass. But folks, I I want to paint a picture for you. Chris started off with a cocktail in a essentially a rocks glass. And now he's I've had I've had three tonight. So this is number three. Number one was a smoked cherry old-fashioned. Number two was a gold rush. And then this is number three, which has no name, which I just concocted on my own. Okay. Let me explain to you how insufferable it is to watch this happen in person. It's a rocks glass. Then he dumps the rocks glass in favor of a hurricane glass. And I already, I'm already annoyed. I see that glass and I'm like, I, I don't. It's even rum. Know, I don't even know what's happening here, but I don't like it. I'm having oh, no, rum. No, no. Then he goes into his freezer and pulls out a bag, because it's not enough that he has ice, right? Oh no, he has a special bag of pebble ice. Why? Why wouldn't he? you? Got to have all the. You got to cover all the ice. A pebble ice instead of crushed ice, like a normal human being. Yeah, for a glass like that. Well, then I gotta get out my Lewis bag, throw in a couple of pieces of ice, get a hammer out, and hammer that pebble ice. It's just already small. Dump it into the glass. And okay, so what's in the glass? It is Fiji <clears throat> rum, Jamaican rum, pineapple rum, passion fruit, mango, lime juice, orange juice, orgeat syrup. So he concocts this thing. He puts a fat slice of lime in it. Now, this, as if this already wasn't annoying enough, as I'm walking out of the room, I look back over my shoulder and I watch him take out a straw and just slide it into this glass with a look of satisfaction on his face like he thinks he just painted a picture. And folks, I got to tell you, it's enough to make me want to burn this place to the ground. It is a stainless steel straw. Not just like a plastic straw you get from Tops or Piggly Wiggly or Winn-Dixie, wherever you do your grocery shopping. This is a stainless steel straw. Oh, God. Your girlfriend's a lucky woman, Chris. 
I know. I I would be lucky too if I found a man that could make cocktails like this. This is impressive. I think it was the look on your face. Just like I said, how pleased you were with yourself. I could see it. It resonated off of you, and I immediately wanted to break something just to make you unhappy. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is delicious. You did sample it, and you said it was good. It was good only because it was liquor forward. That's way too sweet for me. It's delicious. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're here to talk to you all tonight, now that I've gotten done breaking his balls, about something, a much fancier conversation. Something a little sophisticated. More, more so than usual Rock Pile Report Fair. We're here for what is the beginning of our free agency podcast series. And this is our free agency primer, identifying the bill's needs and market dynamics ahead of free agency. We're approximately three weeks away from NFL's free agency's official signing day. And with that in mind, it's finally time for us to dig in and start talking about just going over the topic because I've ignored it for long enough. Chris, this is something podcasters have been doing for weeks, but I feel like that's premature because you don't know where the team, what the team's thinking. Franchise tags haven't been doled out. You don't know how these things could shape the market. And while some of those guys can tell you all about the running back market or spend an hour going into gross detail about what safeties are on the market and what they're going to cost and who's a good value and who's not. For guys like us and a lot of other casual fans out there, your questions are pretty simple. One, what are the genuine needs of the Buffalo Bills? Not wants, because if that's what we were just here to talk about, what do I want for the Buffalo Bills? I want three more Gabe Davises. I want an interior line of all-stars. I want a free nacho cheese, just a cup of nacho cheese with every beer purchase in the stadium. I don't even need chips. Just give me a free cup of cheese every time I buy a beer. And I want a producer who doesn't make drinks that make me want to throw things across the room. But that, that's not realistic. We're talking about needs in order to avoid regression in 2022. And number two, will the market dynamics and our current cap situation and roster makeup allow us to be players in addressing those needs in the early March? Or is that something that's better suited waiting until the draft in April? Or potentially having to be papered over by coaching changes and just changes to the, our scheme and the way our team is designed to operate? Now, again, this is a pretty heady conversation, not something that I think our listeners want to hear you and me try to ramble our way through. So, as I pour myself a glass of bourbon... I'd like to bring in one of, I think, a guy who's becoming one of our favorite podcast ringers on topics like this, Mr. Anthony Prohaska from Cover One. As I pour myself a little bit of bourbon, why don't you tell everybody how you've been, sir? Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm all right. Um, I'm still <laughs> sad about the Bills losing versus Kansas City. Um, looking to buy a house. That market sucks. Like we were just talking. I'm, t I'm real tired mentally, emotionally, uh, physically. I'm drained in a lot of ways, um, but I'm excited to be here. So all things considered, I'm pretty decent. I appreciate that. I mean, and I, I feel bad for you because I have to imagine, like, what is it like stumbling into these meetings with us, knowing that in some situations we'll be able to have an intelligent fact and philosophy based conversation, be able to play a little tennis and then other times, it'll be like you're introducing cavemen to a fork for the first time, depending on where the conversation goes. What's that like for you? It's rough. Um, I mean, like, it's it's just mentally taxing. It's all just, it's all of it is mentally taxing. I feel mental. That's, what I, that's where I'm at right now. Mentally taxed. That's a great way to put it. That's just how I feel. That's where I am. That's where I'm at. That's hilarious. Uh, something that someone pointed out on Twitter that I have to ask you about because I'm watching you on camera right now. You have this thing that you do on your show, Disguise Coverage, and, okay, your, and your appearances with uh, the guys on the Cover One Bills show. Anybody who's been paying attention notices that you have a thing for covering your head, whether it's a hat, oh, whether it's having sorry. your hood on, even though you're inside. There's no breeze. There's nothing going on. Yeah. And you just did it. I watched you put your hood up for no reason indoors. I was a little chilly for a brief moment, and then I put it on. I was like, no, it's too thick. I'm hot. I thought you were going to mention the Christmas tree thing. Well, yeah. Um, also, the, you the, have a Christmas tree in the room. What is that? Yeah. Well, I love Christmas. Um, and I hatched this plan like a year and a half ago to try and convince the wife to keep the Christmas tree in the living room up all year round. 
Um, and I had an idea of, you know, because there's different holidays in every month. You change the garland and the ornaments and stuff to match for that holiday. So for Valentine's Day, you do a bunch of red and hearts. You know, March, you're doing little leprechauns and St. Patrick's Day stuff. Easter, you're doing a bunch of pastels, all this yada yada. She obviously was against it. Um, but the <laughs> compromise was she got me this little mini tree. And so now I have the mini tree up in the office all year round. And then I changed the garland and decorations for that. And then come Christmas time, the little tree gets moved over to the other side. And then I have a bigger Christmas tree that goes in here. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, as far as I'm a complicated person. Um, and then as far as my, my head, I guess I like, I like hats. I have a lot of fitteds. I have a lot of scullies. I just, I like hats. I don't wear them all the time. Um, and then I guess, yeah, the hood is like a hat that's attached to a sweatshirt. <laughs> so I also like it. Um, yeah, that's just where I'm at. Especially too, if I get a haircut, my head will feel cold. And then I'm like, oh, I got to put a hood on because my ears feel cold and my head feels cold. So maybe there's something biological to it as well. Again, I'm, I'm complicated. Chris, nothing makes me funnier than pointing out something. And to, I, I just love that he went down a rabbit hole because I noticed something about his behavior. This is one I of the. I want to explain it, dude. You step in the like. This is one of the. We suck. We're not good people. Like we just see other people and we're like, oh, that's just something I noticed. Why don't you explain it for everyone who's listening? I like. It's it. a I like you guys. personal that's, thing. That's a fair question. If no, it was something that was not. like, I'm an idiot. Was, if it was deep and personal, and you were like, why do you wear hats? And if it was deep and personal, I would just be like, well, I'm not going to tell you. Or I'd be like, it's personal, so kick rocks. Like it is. It, I can't tell you. Well, I appreciate that. So one of the things that we have you here tonight to talk about. I mean, one of the things I noticed, so I, if, for anybody listening to this, if you go to OurLads.com and look at the Buffalo Bills depth chart, and it highlights all the Bills free agents to be, and kind of gives you a blow-by-blow of what our depth chart is, it gives you some real perspective on things, the just this concept that what the Bills quote-unquote need in order to make good on some of these Super Bowl aspirations that have been kicked around since the start of the offseason it might yeah. be a far more nuanced concept than most people realize. And I feel like you're the perfect person to have this conversation with. So in that way, I want to start with what is always a tricky topic, franchise tags, and their effect in the market. Mm-hmm. It's funny how a lot of people go off trying to figure out the free agent market. As soon as the season ends, they go, well, here's this player, here's this player, they're available, this is what the draft, yeah. this is what the talent <laughs> pool looks like. And you go, wait a minute, first of all, same team extensions haven't even been negotiated prior to the deadline. Now, the Bills shocked everybody last year by inking everybody on the docket that they had of consequence to extensions before they even saw the market. Which, Wild. if you were a fan of another team who was banking on a Darrell Williams coming available, or, hey, we're a linebacker needy team and all we need to do is sign Matt Milano in free agency. Well, now all of a sudden your plan changes and if you were a GM thinking that, you you know what I mean? Things yeah, are good. <laughs> things are incredibly fluid before that gets settled. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting, if you look at that chart that I sent you about the historical usage of the franchise tag. Yes. First of all, these are things I waterboard Chris with and he hates it. <laughs> Chris hates it that I, I, I mean, maybe it's part of what I do for a living. Maybe it's just Chris. What are your thoughts when you see me sending you charts and you're like, oh, I have to think about this now? Yeah, how do you have time for that? Uh, it's incredibly easy if you're used to d- data analysis. Oh, yeah. But so essentially what I've sent here, folks, and I'm going to put it out on our Twitter at Rockpile Report, or you can just email me, rockpileReport716 at gmail.com, and I will send you a copy of it because I don't care. <laughs> it's a list of every single franchise tag eligible player, guys who might qualify for every team, and what their cap value is if they're tagged. And I've got some notes. This is the interesting thing about the franchise tag. It not only has the ability to change the complexion of a certain free agent group, but also when you look at it year by year, it's becoming a more popular practice. I guess it broke down in the chart. 2018, only five players were franchise tagged. 2020, 14 players saw the tag. Now, some of that's a byproduct of a falling salary cap and teams that felt desperate. Mm-hmm. But in 2021, it only declined to 10. So you can tell that teams are doing this more often. I guess one of the first things I want to ask, it's, it's obviously more popular than ever. Rising tides float all boats. What are some groups that you think are particularly vulnerable in the event that anyone in them gets franchise tagged that it could raise the salaries of what people are thinking is reasonable in the free agent market? 
I think the two that are usually they, that seem to be the most susceptible are wide receivers and corners. Like those are the guys that always just seem to get hit. And I, I, I love defense. And so every year I'm always like, Oh, you know, who are the free agent corners going to be? And then I'm like, Oh, these four guys are sweet. And I'm like, yeah, three of those guys are going to get tagged. So <laughs> I don't even know why I'm going to pay attention to them. Like, and that's what, to your point, like reshapes the market. And when you have the franchise tag, so for those who don't know, there's there's multiple kinds, but the most common one is the non-exclusive franchise tag. And when that gets applied to someone, the salary that they get for that one year guaranteed is the average of the top five salaries at that position over the last five years or 120% of their previous salary. Then the player can, this is the one that everyone knows, the player can negotiate with other teams and then their current team has the right to match it. Yes. If they don't match it, they get two first round picks, yada, yada. But it carries a hefty price and it usually, yeah, like I, I, I see it a lot for wide receivers, corners. You see it a lot for offensive linemen too, especially tackles. Like guys just get slapped in there with that tag. And a lot of times it's used as there's also a transition tag, but I think a lot of times it's just used for those high priority positions for a team to be like, we don't know what we want to do with this guy, but we know we want to keep him. So let's just put this thing on him to kind of scare people off. And then it'll buy us time to your point, Orlando Brown. He's a perfect candidate for a tag because the Chiefs mm-hmm. gave up an asset to obtain him from the Ravens. And now that they've got him here, they're not going to let him walk for nothing in free agency. But no. finding a deal for him and figuring out what his value is because his play was so up and down might be difficult. Well, the franchise tag, it buys you time. The Bills did it with Cordy Glenn back in 2016. It can be done. And in this case, what that does is it takes another player out of the pool but it also sets – it kind of changes what the per, salary perception of the guys left in the pool is. And so in that way, it can kind of hurt teams that are trying to go out into the market and buy a new tackle because they're going to say, well, if that guy got tagged and his play is deemed worth $16.6 million this year, then mine must be worth more than what it was before. And it, like I said, rising tides float – it floats all boats. So in yeah. that way, it's- and, and you also get one real quick point too. Then you get the guys like, so if the guys who are at the top of the market, all of a sudden get tagged, then the people in the second tier are all of a sudden now seen as the first tier guys. And that's why you got, yes. you know, Timmy Jones, who isn't <laughs> worth $20 million a year is going to get $20 million a year. Cause somebody's like, well, screw it. I need to tackle. So let me throw all my money at this guy. It's like when we signed Chuck Clay. Well, and it's funny because tight end is one of the positions that actually worries me the most in this upcoming free agent class. It's got a number of candidates that reasonably could be tagged. I, you see it there in the chart that I sent you. Yeah, I love the chart. The problem with that is that once you take those guys who are in their prime players out of the mix, and then, like, so let's say you, you take these franchise tags, Dalton Schultz, Mike Gusecki, David Njoku, every single one of those makes sense at $10.9 million to be tagged. You take those three guys out of the free agency pool and you look at what's left and you say to yourself, okay, who else is still in their prime? You take the ones who aren't, the Gronks and the Jimmy Grahams of the world, and you kick them out. <laughs> the next group of tight end talents probably sees an artificial inflation to their contract numbers. Max Williams, CJ Uzama, um, the second, third tier options, they're still looking like seven or nine million. And if those guys get tagged, that number gets higher. Uh, and then you, for guys who think they're savvy and they say, well, there's names like Tyler Conklin and OJ Howard, who we think our team could use them, but they were mis- miscast or underutilized, whatever the case may be. It seems like it could be attractive, but when depth options, <laughs> like when depth starts getting prematurely depleted, all of a sudden that cost rises and you have to start looking at it going, what if I'm wrong? What if I gamble on a player who after like OJ Howard, who after four years in the NFL has not produced significantly at all? What are the odds? What am I willing to pay on a gamble that that pays off? Does it or does it not in your mind change the way you have to approach that group if a couple players get tagged? It changes the way you have to approach that group as a whole because you know if we're just looking at it from the basic brass tax of it, that means guys are off the market, guys that teams i mean hockey too like panic all those years ago with edmonton when they decided to be jerks and throw a bunch of money at them but you don't really like once a guy gets tagged you don't really see teams coming in 
and offering him a contract because nobody usually wants to give up two first round picks and have to pay a huge salary to some dude. If you're trying to franchise tag somebody, it's going to be somebody who's legit. So if the Packers franchise tag Devontae Adams and someone comes in and signs Devontae Adams, you're signing him to a boatload of money and you're also going to give up two first round picks on top of it. Like teams don't want to do that. So it's going to take those guys that get tagged or most likely to your point out of the pool. Then, like I mentioned earlier, those guys that are second tier, third tier, fourth tier, they all get bumped up to first tier, second tier, third tier, because teams still have need. Then they're scrambling for value. You get guys who are just going to cash in regardless of that. I mean, even with what we saw today, you know, no disrespect to Ian Thomas, but oh, I've got plenty know. of disrespect for Ian Thomas lined up. Don't worry. This podcast <laughs> is far from over. <laughs> He gets that three-year deal, eighteen or sixteen point five million, eight million fully guaranteed, and I feel like a. I'm not gonna rake him over the coals too much. I, I I just know some people in the Panthers community who were not pleased with that kind of deal, or at the very least, left like scratching their heads. And those are the types like, so he's getting that, and then you got the franchise tag guys, and that means like okay. You know, Will Disley's going to come away with like two years, you know, 15 million. And you're just like, okay, great. Like you're looking at all, especially from Wonderful. Will's perspective, right? For sure. Yeah. Like you're, you're thinking, okay, we can get these guys for some depth. And then it's like, no, you can't because the depth guys are going to get like $6 million a year and you're not paying that. So what are you going to do? Well, that's it. And in fact, since we're already on it, let's start here. Tight end, right? Because we're talking position by position. The idea of this exercise is to walk through nuances in the market, nuances of our roster construction, and whether t- whether certain positions are worth the Bills focusing on in free agency, or if it's something that the team can afford to kick down the road to the draft. Tight end. Dawson Knox emerges as this stellar NFL tight end. Upper echelon tight end in the NFL last year. For sure. But the depth chart behind him was almost never utilized. I mean, it was it's scary. I, Knox was the only tight end on the depth chart to see more than 22% of snaps. That's ugly. That means that they don't trust these guys. Now, mm-hmm. as you just kind of mentioned, I mean, this idea had been floated earlier on in the preseason by Bills fans talking about, hey, we could just go on to free agency and find a good tight end too. That's what we need. We need a good second tight end so we can run successful 12 personnel packages. We because we we essentially ran the whole season with one tight end. We have four bodies on the depth chart, but what, Sweeney, he's a guy. <laughs> he's a warm body. Yeah, he's nothing special. Uh, Tommy, the fact that Reggie Gilliam, Quentin, what, Quentin Morris, the fact mm-hmm. that Tommy Doyle took over the Lee Smith blocking role, like the fact that you saw him playing as kind of a tight end, extra on the line blocker, it's an indication that the team didn't trust any of those other tight ends to block. That's a problem if you're going to run 12 personnel at all. So in that way, you almost have to bring in another face because staying status quo won't change that dynamic. And that conversation was fun right up until Ian Thomas signs this ridiculous deal today. And a lot of you saw yeah. the name Ian Thomas and went, who the hell is that? What? And I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you for not knowing who the fuck we're talking about because this is this is it. Uh, Adam Leviton from my uh, oh what is it? Uh, Establish the run. He tweets out that Ian Thomas was PFF's 48th tight end among 48 qualifiers in 2020. He was 44 out of 45 in 2021. He ran 804 routes over the last oh, two seasons. And has 38 receptions for 333 yards and one touchdown. Those are Lee Smith numbers. And yet he doesn't run block like Lee Smith. Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like all of a sudden we talk about rising tides floating all boats. Holy crap. This guy's contract just completely shot that TE2 market to hell. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of, Anthony. It's it's, it's kind of like uh, all of a sudden you just uh, start main eventing Peter Avalon on Dynamite. Basically. I knew. I knew <laughs> his. I saw the smirk, the the wry grin on the side of your face, and then I saw you look towards Drew, and I just knew it was going to be a wrestling reference. And I'm so happy. Nice at <laughs> nice dude. So good. <laughs> I want to headbutt you, but I'm too far away. Here's the question. Knowing that Knox has to has to be signed to a contract extension and seeing what's happening already with this TE2 market. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that this forces the Bills to maybe stand pat? 
and maybe look to the draft to try to find somebody who can grow into that role eventually? What's tough with that is traditionally tight ends take a long time to develop yeah. and or make an impact. As so we've seen. as we've seen, like even Kyle Pitts, who was supposed to be this revolutionary talent, and I still think he can be even his rookie year. He had a good, you know, rookie tight end year. I think he, you know, exceeded some expectations in some ways, but even someone like that, like it's tough for him. I guess if you're looking for a tight end two, who's mainly going to be like a blocking type, or you're not looking to have them shoulder a lot of the burden or responsibility of a tight end one, you know, maybe it's easier to draft them and bring them in. I, I just don't know if that's going to work, especially because you need your tight end two with what we saw with Dawson Knox last year and what the offense looked like when he wasn't in there. You need your tight end two to be able to do two things. One, function in 12 personnel, be responsible when it comes to blocking, being able to understand the nuance of play action and roles and responsibilities and all that stuff. But two, if anything does happen, God forbid, knock on wood, to Dawson Knox, you need them to be able to step in in a pinch and not, you know, you need them to mitigate that loss. And if you're having some rookie, not that that rookie can't mitigate it, but it's, I think that's a heavy burden to bear if you're a rookie. Oh, for I think sure. They're, yeah. I think they're looking to the free agent market almost regardless. And it just becomes a matter of who they can find at the cheapest or more realistic price. I really like Tyler Conklin. I didn't think he was going to be affordable to the bills because he was a tight end one in Minnesota. He flashed some talent. And yeah, now that Ian Thomas is making $17 million every other (laughs) minute, I don't think they're going to be able to get Conklin. I think you're, you know, we broke down some in the film room a couple weeks ago. I think you're really looking into the Will Disleys, the Ross Dwellies of the world, uh, the Durham Smythes trying to put that together. But who knows also, because the way the Bills operate, they're also a bit of a wild card. They brought in Jacob Hollister last year, who looked good for the Bills in the preseason. Then they jettisoned him off right away, and we're just like, nah, we'll just go with, with Knox and Gilliam and Tommy Sweeney and see what can happen. It's a bit of a wild card position, but I think to stabilize it, from a tight end two perspective, you got to look towards free agency. That's interesting. So now you want to talk about stability and continuity. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the offensive line. Oh I, boy. Yeah. And I think this will really get our listeners into the groove of why, because if this didn't already establish it, this is the position that'll do it. Just mm-hmm. to establish what it is we're trying to lay out here. To use the term intense scrutiny to describe the way that fans and pundits were viewing the Buffalo Bills offensive line in 2021, it's a gross understatement. It's kind of like saying that Chris has a little bit of trouble relating to people. Like that. (laughs) Like, But when you look at the makeup of our current roster, despite the fact that they underperformed in some aspects for giant stretches of 2021, there was whole games. That Jacksonville game, you can almost park that loss on the offensive line. I mean, the the play where all three, our center and both guards, are blocking the same guy while there's two free rushers to the quarterback, that can't happen. That's that's Keystone Cops. That's Three Stooges bullshit. That doesn't happen in the NFL. So bad. So it's, it's tough when you look back at that same offensive line and you say, well, it sucks, but everybody here has a pretty straightforward path to returning to the roster in 2022. I, all of our tackles are under contract. Our starting right guard and offensive center, uh, they're here for at least one more year. And two of the three players who took the majority of snaps at left uh, left guard, Bates, Feliciano, and Bacher. Bacher's out there. I don't know what his market is, but Bates is an RFA, and Feliciano's yeah. still under contract. So even though they had lacking performance... I know that a lot of fans will go into this offseason kind of saying, we need to get better. We need to do this better on the offensive line. Oh, this has to change. And that got hotter because they heard Brandon Bean say after the season ended that one of his priorities was going to be protecting Josh Allen. And they look at what we have on hand and they say, this isn't feasible. We need to, we need to get better. We need talent. It might not be feasible to do that in free agency. I mean, this is the state of the market. And if you look at what the team was going to do to try to free up cap space, if you cut Feliciano, you open up a hole that gives you $3 million in cap, but you lose your swing interior line player, a guy who can play guard and center for you. How valuable is that in the NFL versus $3 million in cap space? 
Well, it's very valuable, but I just don't think John Feliciano's good. Okay, neither so do I. I don't. I don't think he's good it. either. But so theoretically, his cost is about four million in twenty twenty two cap dollars. So you're going to free up right. three million in space by releasing him. When you look at what's out there, though, in for the same market value, compared to the option of giving Rick Bates the RFA tag, even if you do it at like a second round level, which is what two point. What is that, like 2.8? Yep. Yeah, two, I would say 2.7, like, something that rounds up to Okay, yeah. so about 2.8 for the RFA tag. If you look at what teams are spending, the average guard allocation by team is about $10.4 million. That's what teams are spending on guard play here in 2022. Uh, mm-hmm. 21, our offensive guards are already slated to make more than 4.5. And there's 21 guys on the market who are who were already making more than that, right? Like there's already 21 offensive guards signed to contracts who are making more than 4.5. So you jettison Feliciano, but who are you getting who's better? There's probably not a lot out there on the open market in that regard, right? No, no. Um, I think you look internally and you start Cody Ford. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're trying to build depth and or functionality with the offensive line, especially on the interior. I don't think it's going to come from free agency this year, just because of a, of a cap perspective. And like you said, like what the market is, who's available, who has the cap space. The top um, guys are slated to make over 7 million. We don't have that kind yeah. of cash to throw at an interior offensive lineman. We just don't. So, no, we're going to have to spread around and, and, we want to build functional depth across the entire board. And there's ways that you have to do that. And first you got to create the cap space, let alone where you spend it, where you allocate it, all that stuff. I think it's most likely going to come in the draft and the, uh, offensive line is such a weird grouping for me with the bills, because I said it uh, uh, a couple episodes ago on disguise coverage. I said it on Twitter as well. If the bills just brought back the exact same offensive line roster, as they did to end 2021, they're already a significantly better offensive line because of Coach Cromer. Coach Cromer is phenomenal. I think like Bills fans really need to grasp that. And I know majority of them just spend time making jokes about beach chairs and crap like that. But lost in that is he's a really good coach. His if you look at the tape from all the different units he's coached, whether it's different teams, different players, they all operate with the same level of technique. They all operate with the same level of technicality and fundamental play. And that's because he instills that in those teams. He gets the buy-in from his players. He's able to teach it in a digestible and easy to understand method that gets everybody on the same page. He mitigates weaknesses. He maximizes strengths and he raises ceilings and raises floors. So even if they do nothing but bring back the same group, they're a better offensive line. But given the money, given his ability to develop, I would expect them to look towards the draft when it comes to offensive line just because you get a younger guy, you get somebody who can develop under Coach Cromer and the system and is on an affordable deal because they came in the draft. This is a good draft for offensive linemen. And you look at a lot of guys last year who were drafted on day two or even day three. The Chiefs are a good example. They get Creed Humphrey in the second round and they get Trey Smith in round five or six. Both those guys start and have good years for Kansas City and help anchor a turnaround on that offensive line. Um, you get those guys and you let them develop for a little bit and you help yourself this year when it comes to depth, but depth, but also maybe set yourself up for 2023 and 2022 as you maybe move on from a Daryl Williams or, you know, have to replace Bates. And it's an interesting group because it, it, it's all right if it comes back the same as it is, but you could easily upgrade the interior of the offensive line. Oh, for sure. You just can't afford to do it in the free agent market. So Correct. all these people no. pounding the table for, oh, I want to sign X player X. Shut up. I want Brandon Sheriff. Yeah, yeah I, I want a lot of things. Also, some of that turnaround and some of the play, it's kind of like having you know, Kansas City's a great corollary because you're looking at a quarterback in Josh Allen who just spent an entire season as the most pressured quarterback, and yet one of the like sacks on him were rare. Oh, by comparison I, to the pressures, I got, and so I got the, it for you. What's that? 248. So it led the league, 248 pressures. This is in my brain. I'm not reading it off. 248 <laughs> pressures led the league. And then um, out of quarterbacks who had at least 
50 dropbacks. He was pressured at a rate of 10.2 or 10.6% on the year, which is the third lowest. So people point to the sack totals and are like, oh, well, we have a good offensive line. Josh Allen didn't get sacked. No. No, that's Allen. Josh Allen. He's correct. a maniac. That's Josh Allen. He's a maniac. It's his ability. Yeah, he's and, a monster with his evasion, and it's all him. It's and not I look line. at Kansas City, and I go, they also have a monster of a quarterback. That helps in the development of rookie offensive linemen because those guys know, hey, if I make a mistake, it's okay because that guy, mm-hmm. he's under fire anyway, and he's been fine. <laughs> it'll continue yeah, to be yeah. fine. He's okay. Look at him running around back there. It'll he's be good. Okay. So what you're telling me is if the Bills are going to go offensive line to the draft, it's kind of like the equivalent of Daniel Garcia being mentored by Brian Danielson. I want to kick you. Love I, it. I, you No, you should like that one. Daniel Garcia's from Lackawanna. He's a Buffalo guy. I knew it was also. I knew he was also going to go with a wrestling reference again. I keep seeing the smirk out of the side of his eye. I just love it. This is beautiful. He, he knows. <laughs> this is what I hate about Chris. It'll be the theme of the show. I hate that Chris just it. has wrestling references on tap, and now that he knows you love it, he's going to keep. He's going to keep pouring. What's even better is they're good. They're good ones. Like the Avalon one made sense. This Daniel Garcia, Brian, Daniel Bryan one, like makes sense. Like, it doesn't make sense like, to me. You're speaking. It's, re- it's irrelevant. Oh, it's enraging. I, I, and that's what's that's what's so funny because it's such a good analogy, and you don't get it. In the always sun, like I feel like this is how Charlie and Mac felt, and always sunny in Philadelphia when they were playing Charlie McDennis, and they just they were like, we have to nail the boards down because eventually these two just try to flip everything. Yeah, this is how I now understand that. So switching sides of the ball, the defensive line, okay? We're sticking with the trenches here. It's it's a hot point of debate between fans about what they should do. And it's interesting because our GM under, he kind of indicated that he understood that our offense needed more explosiveness. He said, listen, we need more athleticism and explosiveness as a football team. And he also said the things that protecting Josh Allen was a priority. But in there, what the hell do we do with this defensive front? I mean, I've already seen people out there on Twitter talking about things like trading for Khalil Mack. And it's the kind of stuff that makes you want to bite another human being in the nose. But I'm not going to do that yet because I'm still a rational human being. Fair. I look at our defense like this. Our linebackers are under contract for the next season. Uh, Milano's on the second year of his extension, fifth year option for Trey Edmonds. Teron Johnson's locked up for another year or two. Our safeties are under contract. So is most of our safety depth now with the retention of Saron Neal. So for a team that plays nickel at the rate that we do, we're pretty strong on the back end. I mean, you've got the obviously the cornerback position, which is a thing unto itself, but up the middle and on the back end, you look pretty, you, you're returning the same group. The problem is, is that the guys in front of them, you could argue that they're more important in terms of how yes. those guys get to do their job. And yes. everything they do is going to be meaningless if they can't find their footing. And the problem with that is that the defensive line has the largest number of departing free agents of any position group on the football team. They've got six guys who are about to leave or who are scheduled to leave for free agency. Three players, Hughes, Addison, and Phillips, that saw more than 40% of snaps last year. So they were important to what we were doing. And Star could be a cap release. Hughes and Addison's contracts are just up. The remaining defensive ends behind those two all have less than three years starting experience. None of them have more than five sacks in a single season. You don't have a lot of proven ability there. There's a lot of work to do, and there's not a ton of cash laying around to do it. Would you agree with me if I said that the answer to the question, how do the Bills address the defensive line in 2022, is that it's probably going to require a multifaceted approach? Not just free agency, not just the draft, but a blended approach between the two. And it might require some premium draft capital in order to make it happen. Yeah, I completely agree. You you look at a group that is having this amount of departures, and for any team, it's not ideal, but for a team like the Bills, who are one of only seven teams that didn't have a defensive lineman with over 60% of snaps last year, we know the rotation is super important. Ed Oliver had the most. Like, So let, let, let's look at it from this perspective with the guys you just mentioned, right? Ed Oliver led the defensive line in snap percentage at 57.8. Jerry Hughes was second at 51.8. Gregory Rousseau was third at 49.3. Mario Addison was fourth at 44.7. So two of your top four defensive linemen with snap percentage 
are, are not here right now. Jerry Hughes led the team with 55 pressures. You know who was third? Mario Addison with 38. 26% of the Bills' pressures in 2021 were in Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. Yes. Neither of those guys are here. Well, and- what's interesting is when you look at pressures and you talk about what that means – Pressures are good because they're impactful plays, but they don't show yes. up in a lot of what most fans look at in the box score. Like you go, oh, he had a pressure. Well, he gets no sacks. And there right. is something to that, right? Like you look back at the Colts game. I specifically remember that one because I'm in my seat. I'm watching Mario Addison come right down Main Street. He's in Carson wow. Wentz's face. He's got him yeah. dead to rights for a sack. And then Carson Wentz ducks him and runs no. away for 18 yards. And you go, dude, like those are the plays that change games, that get you the ball back, get you momentum. Neither one of those guys could close the door on their opportunities, but they generated more of them than anybody else in the roster. And ultimately that disrupts a quarterback enough for everybody else to make plays. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, no, that's that's why their value is... They have value beyond what the average fan thinks they do. Yeah, and that's the... I said it in uh, I said it in a tweet that I hadn't realized that Bruce Nolan also said in a similar fashion a, a couple of days before the type of defense the Bills play on the back end with their zone defense when they get pressure. So the whole idea of a pressure right is it leads to negative outcomes for the offense. Yes. One of those negative outcomes is a sack, but the other outcomes are an incompletion, an interception, a fumble. Like there's a throwaway, just a throwaway. Yeah. Especially if you're playing oh. a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, if you can force yeah. Patrick Mahomes to throw the ball away, That's you won. You won that down. Exactly. That's a win. Like any any one of those things. But the type of coverage the Bills usually play on the back end with that zone base, it gives quarterbacks, you know, quote unquote, easier outs because you don't have guys that are you know, locked on or in phase or as close as much. So it gives quarterbacks an opportunity to escape with a throw or make a completion or get something away. And that's another reason why coverage and pass rush are always tied together. People love to have that debate of which is more important. I don't think there's an answer. They're both equally important. They both have to work together. If one sucks, the other one's screwed. That's what matters. But you've got this group now, this defensive line that all of a sudden you're going into 2022 and the only known people on your roster are a second-year Gregory Rousseau, who, despite the fact that he was fifth and amongst uh, defensive end and outside linebackers in run-stop win rate last year, which was tremendous, he's still a very much growing product when it comes to pass rush ability. And people need to continue to have that patience. I don't want to hear from anyone if Gregory Rousseau only has like four sacks this year, how he's a bust and he's terrible. Like He's extremely raw. He just started playing edge like two, three seasons ago. He only has one year of college football under his belt, and now he's got a year in the NFL. He is a very, very raw ball of clay that needs to get molded. You've got Carlos Basham, who I wasn't high on last year. I don't know how much of an impact he's going to make, but I'm not going to make a concrete judgment on him now because he's still a rookie. But I think what he did last year is kind of what he is. A.J. Epinesa was somebody I think a lot of people, myself included, had pegged as like, this guy's going to break out in 2021 after the training camp that he had, the preseason that he had. And then he only saw 30.6% of snaps didn't really have an impact. Those are your three guys that you're hanging your hat on yeah, when so, it comes to the edge. So you're going to have to go get some bodies. You have to do something. Yes. It's almost like if AJ Epineza was Brian cage. <laughs> I who just got re-upped. <laughs> I just want if. I don't have enough receptacles at my disposal to throw across this table. I wish I could. Is that is that a good analogy? I'd Anthony? rather talk about Doink the Clown. All right? Let's talk about Doink the Clown. Oh, let's talk about Doink. I love Doink. is awesome. He's terrifying. Let's do that. I said that. Ironic. Damn it. Anthony, I you love talk you. About his Wrestle- you want to talk about his WrestleMania 9 match with Crush? Against let's Crush. That. I watched yes! it as a little kid. I did watch it as a little kid. Damn it. See, you sucked me down to the seventh level of hell. I'm talking about wrestling on a football podcast. God, I hate my like self loathing. Yeah, this is what the people want. No, what the people want to know is this. So we've talked about how you don't have a lot in house that's experienced. You just hemorrhaged a huge part of what is, or you're at least slated to hemorrhage a huge part of what was your defensive end group. Yep, you got to fill from multiple spots. Would you argue with me if I said that the team? 
Especially when I look at this and I look at Mario Addison and his seven sacks last year. I say to myself, okay, Jerry Hughes was the most tenured member of this team. Mm -hmm. Didn't produce in those moments, but he generated a lot of pressures. Mario Addison got sacks, didn't generate as many pressures. One of them has got to be back on this roster next year. If I said that they should probably try to pursue some of this hemorrhaging talent rather than looking at the market, because those guys might have a little bit of a soft spot and might come at a cheaper value than a, a face off the street. Am I crazy for insisting on that? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. I think they need to and will bring back Jerry Hughes. He's still the best edge rusher on this team. And if it's not him, it was Mario Addison. One of those guys have to come back. And I think when you add up all the extracurriculars of leadership and culture and what they mean to the team and yada, yada, and all that stuff that we kind of actually, well, we talk about it too much now with Sean McDermott and what the Bills culture is. I think Jerry Hughes is the guy that comes back. Um, he means a lot to this team. I think the team means a lot to him. And when you combine that with what he's done, I think he's a guy – Again, he was your him and Addison, but I think Jerry was better, even though he had less sacks. That's your best edge rusher from 2021. If you can bring him back, he's your best edge rusher again going into 2022. I think they need to bring Jerry Hughes back. And then also, potentially you can piecemeal some more depth on the edge in free agency um, based on what's out there on the market. But then I think also, I don't know, maybe you get lucky and someone falls in the draft and you can grab someone in you know early – day two or in the first three rounds or maybe even round four. There's some talent on the edge in this draft. My only problem with having to rely too much on the draft for edge talent is you've already got Gregory Rousseau. You've got Epinesa. You've got Basham. You've mentioned like these three guys with less than three years of NFL experience. If you add too much from a young perspective to that, I don't know how much proven edge rush productivity you are getting. This edge grouping needs someone or multiple people ideally who can win one-on-one -on -one, who have proven NFL production who can win in those scenarios and not that it's not guaranteed with you know players coming out of the draft but those guys don't have that proven NFL production you don't know what their technique is going to look like and what their pass rush plan is going to look like going up against NFL tackles so I expect them to address it like you mentioned we talk about this rotation we talk about how many guys up front play how many guys have you know made this exodus you, with the cap space they have, they have to uh, they have to you know plug up the holes double through dip. multiple ways. You're yeah, gonna have free to double agency, dip. It's free agency everything. and the draft. Yeah. And I I'd, I'd argue that bringing back your own with cap space, guys who have familiarity with the roster, is probably a better idea, and it would probably bear more fruit. This is just me saying it. Than you going out and bringing in, if you had to spend a couple million, all things being equal. Guy who's new to the building, who's a lesser than signing on the free agent market, because you, you're not going to go swing for the fences at one of the high. You know, you're not going to go out and get a premier pass rusher. You're not doing. Yeah, it. you're not getting Hassan Reddick or <clears throat> no. you know, trading for Khalil Mack. Yeah, it's you're, not happening. You're, you're not doing any of these things. So if you're gonna bring a guy in, wouldn't you rather bring back a dude who at least can create pressure, do these havoc things that you, you, we see, and also might have a, enough of a soft spot for here that. Mm -hmm. He does something and helps our football team. That's the only yeah, reason I, I see them right. kind of leaning towards retaining our own versus bringing in a new fresh face because everything else will cost too much. That's, that's, that's what it breaks down to. Now, there's another position here, the one we'll kind of end this on, wide receiver. Wide receiver, it's a point of contention. Sal Capaccio just did a two-part breakdown of the makeup of our wide receiver depth chart and what he thought that the plan should be. Uh, th that's how nuanced it is, is that a guy like Sal, who's a consummate professional, can't do it in one article, can't do it in one radio appearance. He's got to do it in multiple radio spots and two different articles. It's the inverse of everything we've talked about here. Adding rookie talent at this point in the team's development does not help them in a year where their Super Bowl window is open because rookies at the wide receiver position do not acclimate to the NFL very quickly. There's one or two in every single wide receiver class who do, right? I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. Jamar Chase won me a fantasy football Super Bowl. Justin Jefferson. I made money with a, I made money with a comma in it this year because of Jamar Chase. Uh, <laughs> That's good. Last year, Justin Jefferson was the guy. 
Um, you've seen guys step in and be effective from jumps. But, how, Anthony, you're a draft guy. How many wide receivers get drafted and never are heard from again? <laughs> like, the draft yeah. is almost the highlight of their career. Yeah, there's. A, it's a hard position to adjust to. And I think what, what sucks now with it is because of the Jamar Chases and because of the Justin Jefferson people Chase, people now think, yep, people now think, oh, well, we can just grab a rookie wide receiver and they're going to be one of the top five receivers in the NFL. Oh, my God, this is amazing. And Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are outliers. They are not the norm. They are the exception, much like Josh Allen is. And you're going to have all these teams that are like, well, we can take this guy and make him like Josh Allen. And Trey Lance! No, Josh Trey Lance! I said it last oh, year. Someone was going to take a super athletic quarterback with no proven body of work because they feel like, okay, well, Buffalo did it. We can do it too. Like, give me the block of clay, and I think I can mold it. We'll see how that goes. But it's dangerous. Not everybody can do it, and not ever, not all of those blocks of clay. Because sometimes you're going to end up with a Josh Allen, but more often than not, you're going to end up with a uh, what do you call it, a Kyle Bowler. <laughs> you'll, you'll end up oh, with a Kyle, Kyle Bowler. Bowler. Yeah, from Cal. Yeah, I remember him on a commercial. It was a commercial for that uh, Vortex football that had a whistle in it. And he could throw oh, it from those. one knee from like 70 yards through the uprights. And everyone was like, this guy's amazing. And then he sucked on game day. He was terrible. Yeah, he was bad for the Ravens. And Josh yeah. Allen was a bad passer for the Buffalo Bills until he re- – it was just hard work and dedication that changed the trajectory of his career. Not every player has that. It's a rare oh. thing. And he's a rare player. So you have GMs who are going to chase that. The wide receiver group is the same way. And at the mm-hmm. same time, more of these guys will fail than succeed. There's uh, teams run four or five wide receiver sets. A lot of these guys, you're drafting two or three every year, and most of them you mm-hmm. never hear of again. Mm-hmm. The thing that I will say about the Buffalo Bills, the days of having to give the key to the city to Terrell Owens in order to make ourselves feel better about the state of our wide receiver depth chart, those are over. Because while we already have talent at the wide receiver position, we also have one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL. And in a system, I mean, that's going to change with the loss of Brian Dable, but it won't change a ton. The verbiage will stay the same. A lot of the, you know, in between the 20 stuff will probably stay a lot of, because it's going to defer to what Josh likes to do and what Josh has been doing works. It's that, these Josh is going to continue to showcase his skill. And so those wide receivers are going to kind of be boosted by the play of their quarterback. He has the ability. You saw it with Tom Brady, with Peyton Manning. You saw it with Aaron Rodgers. Josh Allen has this ability to make mediocre players look good. He has the ability to make good players look great. Stephon Diggs was a good player for the Vikings. He's an electric player for the Buffalo Bills because his quarterback is so talented. We talked earlier about franchise tags and rising tides float all boats. Josh Allen is the tide that floats every wide receiver's boat on this roster. So when I think about that and I look at what the makeup is, just of the free agent market, and I look at what they could give them, we are not in a position like the Tua Tungaviolas and the Mac Joneses of the world where you have to get talent in order to support your quarterback. If anything, you're now trying to find specific skill sets. You're trying to find specific skill sets to fit specific roles on this football team, knowing that your quarterback can make them all useful. I mean, for anybody who doubts that, Josh Allen was one dropped Taiwan Jones pass against New England on Monday Night Football, and I'll never forgive him for that. If he had caught that, Josh Allen would have broken the franchise record for touchdowns to individual players over the course of a season. He had nine that year. Nine different players caught touchdown passes because he can make anybody useful. Chris, the Tennessee Titans game this past year, or no, uh, when we were losing last year, when we got mollywopped down there on primetime, he threw a touchdown pass to TJ Yeldon where he was basically like, I just know you're back there. Don't move. And yeah, he gunned it. He gunned it over people, but it was still a piss missile. And he's like, as long as he doesn't move, it's a touchdown. Yeah, he raises everyone's play. Like you know, much like Kenny Omega, you know, is able to work with many different wrestlers. Oh, you too. Raise their level. (laughs) So through this lens, and considering at this point in the team's development that we need experience depth, right? We need guys who are going to produce and be impactful, but also won't cost a ton. 
It's worth noting under Brandon Bean, we've probably had more success than any Bills, any iteration of the Bills franchise prior in finding meaningful contributions mm-hmm. in the free agent market. You got McKenzie, who I think we claimed off waivers. Didn't it? Yeah, when he was released by Denver. Yeah. So 2020, he's on a one year deal for 900K. 282, five touchdowns, two rushing, eight total, 24% of snaps. 2021, another deal under a mil, 178 and one touchdown, but it came in the most important game of the year in New England. One rushing touchdown, 21% of snaps. He eventually, by the end of the season, got back to where he had been in the offense. Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley was a guy who Cowboys fans were, I remember, drunk Cowboys fans on a cruise yelling at me about, oh, good fucking luck with that diva. He sucks. He's 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 just a me guy. Fuck you. Yeah, well, I don't know. 967 in 2020 and four touchdowns. 693 in a touch in 2021. Uh, four years, $7 million deal. Six touchdowns. I mean, in 19, he was a big factor because he was one of the few guys in our offense who who worked. Yeah. yeah, he got all pro votes in 2020 as a slot receiver, which is almost unheard of. John Brown. John Brown, three-year, $9 million deal in 2019. Yep. Eclipses the 1,000-yard mark for the first time in two years. No wide receiver had had it since Sammy Watkins left. Okay? Since wow. that one productive season of Sammy Watkins under Rex Ryan, no one had gotten 1,000 yards. He did it in 2019, his first year, six touchdowns. Same contract, 458-3 and three the next year, and then he was cut. We cut him because we said, listen, we can do better. <laughs> Yeah. Emmanuel Sanders, bring we bring him in, we take his place. One year, six million, six twenty-six and four touchdowns. Throw in the trade for Stefan Diggs, who only has the ninth highest cap hit going into this season for NFL wide receivers. This is we've been one of the most successful teams in this conference in identifying talent on the market and bringing it in at a fair price and getting a of their contract value production. Would you say that? Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. So in that way, none of these guys broke the bank. They were nowhere near the top of the respective class in terms of what they got signed for. But ultimately, they were a huge part of why we were competitive. Kind of like AEW signing Brody King and Buddy Matthews. <laughs> yes. Knights of the Black Throne. I'm going to break something. I'm going to snap. His smile gets me every time. His smirk, that <laughs> shit-eating grin. It's so good. <laughs> I hate you guys. It's spot Rest- on is what it is. Wrestling sucks. It is spot on. That's what's so funny is that they're, they're, they're really spot on. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope that some of our listeners understand these. what is inside baseball for everybody but me, apparently. I, just, I don't get it. I just get angry. Um, so this was my thing. I mean, when, when you look back at free agent moves we used to make, Andre Holmes, Justin Hunter, Brad Smith, Percy Harvin. Is he the biggest bust free agent signing of Buffalo Bills like recent history? I I don't know how much I didn't expect much from him when he came in because of the concussion history and everything that was weird. I mean, he was sweet in week one when he caught that diving touchdown against the Colts from Tyrod. And then he couldn't see lights anymore because of his migraines and stopped playing. So, yeah, I guess that was yeah kind of rough. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to underscore here is before before you slip another fucking wrestling, I swear to God, I'll fight you. <laughs> We've never been able to pick the market on wide receivers until now. And now that we have a GM who understands that, who has a staff who can identify talent in that regard, when you look at the holes that are about to open up and look like they might, no one knows what's going to happen with Cole Beasley. He could be cut for cap considerations. Isaiah McKenzie might not be brought back simply because some other team values him more than us. I don't know. No one knows. It's all up in the air right now. Why wouldn't you tackle this stuff through the through the draft? Because you want to be like a Peyton Manning finding your Austin Collie or some shit like that. So that's the question. Why would you... Uh, they have a track record that says they can do this well. Would you, Anthony, think that they'd go draft with this given everything that's at stake in 2022? Or do you think that they hit the market and try to be savvy? I think it depends on the Cole Beasley domino. If Cole Beasley stays, 
regardless of when I forget about the money conversation, just if he stays on the roster, you're looking at Cole Beasley, Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, solid top three. If those are there, I think they look towards free agency first to find some sort of versatile depth piece. Um, I would love somebody like Byron Pringle, somebody who offers you special teams versatility, but also is a good route runner. He's fast. Someone like that. You're looking somebody who can be that wide receiver for who's multifaceted, can you know do a lot of things, isn't going to break the bank. That's what you look for. If Cole Beasley goes, and honestly, even if Cole Beasley stays, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills went receiver in the first round of the draft. Cause there's a lot of sick ones, but wow. I also think it, it's a really good wide receiver draft and you can get a quality depth wide receiver who can do a lot of things in round two, three, even round four. But if Cole Beasley goes, depending on what else happens in free agency, if Cole Beasley goes, I think wide receiver might be the priority in round one, given who could fall. If, if Cole Beasley goes and you're sitting there at 25 and Jamison Williams from Alabama is there or Burks from Arkansas is there or Garrett Wilson from Ohio state. There's a lot of studs. It's a good draft top to bottom for wide receiver, but it's also a strong draft at the top of the class for wide receiver. If Beasley goes, I think it makes sense to look towards the draft early again, depending on Beasley goes, then all of a sudden you have more money. That means you have to start addressing other holes, other needs right Mm now. I'm on corner and defensive tackle in round one, one of those two things I need to have right now. But if Beasley's gone, I think wide receiver makes a lot of sense. Um, I think wide receiver, again, could be a target even if Beasley stays. But if he goes, that's a major priority. Stephon Diggs is awesome. Gabriel Davis had a monster year at the back end of 2021. Other than that, if Beasley's gone, your wide receiving group is Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Tanner Gentry, Marquez Stevenson, and Isaiah Hodgins. So your wide receiver group is Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis and a whole bunch of question marks. And not cool question marks like the Riddler or Hush. Like question marks like you're like, oh, I don't want those kind of question marks. Like, <laughs> so it becomes a different group. <laughs> it becomes a different conversation. You know, question marks like... <laughs> not even the good Riddler either, like Jim Carrey Riddler. Like the worst version of the Riddler we've ever seen. Yeah, like just what you don't want, like wrestlers who get, you know, brought up from NXT to the main roster in WWE and their character just doesn't hit. They just they're not able like to really killer cross. Like there you go. Killer That's a cross. Great reference like an NXT champion <laughs> who gets called up to Raw and he loses in his first match. Like Did Jeff Hardy. Are you kidding there? me? Are you kidding me? What is going on? Drew, what are your thoughts on Jeff Hardy and Killer Cross and that whole back and forth? Oh, I've got a lot of thoughts. I've got a lot of thoughts right now. I'm rubbing my face and I just want to. What are your thoughts on how the status of the Intercontinental title has just fallen in WWE? Given the the greats that held it, like Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, so on and so forth, and just how it doesn't have the prestige that it once did. Well, the Intercontinental title is currently at its highest regard according to your uh shelf back there it's currently at the oh top. yeah that's the old school one <laughs> yeah. i love that one it's when beautiful. it mattered that's I'll right when it this. mattered bret hart mr you, perfect you know what i'll Piper. tell you you know what i'll tell you when we get done here i'm gonna put chris in a sharpshooter i'm gonna put him in a sharpshooter and there's nothing he can do about it. bret hart's my favorite wrestler i sign off on that sorry chris <laughs> i would have i would have put you to put me in a million other dream because your long arms well, that can happen. People people remember the Festivus video on the Feats of Strength. I wrapped you up quick. That happened fast. This is the airing of grievances and the Feats of Strength come next. Oh, yeah, of course. So that's interesting to me, and it, it makes sense because I look at this and I go, I don't know how much money we have to spread around. The trenches need to be shored up. They have to. We, yeah. don't, we don't have a choice. You have to address that. The wide receiver group is something of a luxury, but there's always players out there. There's always guys yes. who don't, because again, we talk about how many wide receivers are out there. There's three, four who get drafted every single year that you never hear of again. Then there's a bunch of middling guys who don't do well enough that their teams respect them enough to re- reward them with a second contract. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're talentless. They just need to find the right quarterback, the right system, the right, you can make John Brown, you can make anybody useful. On a, at a high level, if you just get them in the right place. Yeah. Hunter Renfro is a good example that Bills fans are all clamoring about now. Yes. Nobody, when Hunter Renfro was taken by the Raiders, was like, oh my God, this guy could be one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. They were just like, oh, 
He scored touchdowns with Deshaun Watson at Clemson. That could be fun, I guess. And now he's sick. If you let a guy develop, you bring him along with the right system and quarterback, you never know what you can get. So it'll be interesting to see how the team approaches free agency. Cornerback is the big one. And that one I'm sure you're going to be all over on your show. Where can people follow you on Twitter and where can they find your work to hear all about it? Find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A-N-T. Um, I host a show on the Cover One Network called Disguise Coverage live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. I am also one of the co-hosts of the Cover One Film Room live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Break down a lot of different clips and footage, bills related, draft stuff, free agency, anything and everything. And then in season, I am one of the three hosts for the Cover One Post Game Show and AEW is fantastic. <laughs> wrestling stinks. Oh, wrestling is terrible. Happy. Also, you're fantastic, and we're happy that you joined us because <laughs> these are the types of things I like to have smart conversations, but I can't just do it with Chris. I can't just yell because Chris gives me that. He gives me snark, shitty grins, waxed hair, and wrestling references. And it it literally borderlines on a fist fight every single time. So I'm happy that you came and joined us tonight. Guys, go check out his show. We have a lot of programming coming up over the next few weeks. Just looking into the free agent markets as they emerge kind of looking at what's reasonable for the Buffalo Bills. I'm not going to try to bore you with a lot of players that don't make sense for us, and we're going to bring in some ringers to do so. Anthony's already told us he's in. You're going to come back. You're going to do this for round two, correct? Oh, of course, yeah. I'm going to talk. We're going to talk about how the Bills are going to sign Devontae Adams, uh, J.C. Jackson, and Stephon Gilmore. Oh, and then they're going to trade for, uh, oh, what is it? They're going to trade for the ghost of uh, Megatron. And they're going to bring back Shannon Sharp. He's going to come out of retirement. And yeah, love it. Every every ridiculous idea I've heard on Twitter so far this week. And hilariously, these things we just said, not the dumbest things that I've heard this week. No, folks, not crazy shit. We've got a lot of stuff coming up over the next two weeks. Look forward to having you back. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Anthony Prohaska. And this has been your Rockpile Report.